beating. Start off with the wonderful crunch of the espresso <laughs> yeah. beans here. No, that's perfect. It's uh, jumping us right in. <laughs> they they do have kick too, so you might want to watch out on that. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, though. Really talking. Uh, I've jacked my heart rate heart rate a couple of times on that one. <laughs> um. Oh, and distance on the mic, you'll probably want about yay far. So just yay far. Move it however you need to, but we'll just try to keep it close when you're talking. Right. So. All right. The Chase Ellis Podcast, episode two. Two. Well, that just depends on if we air it in order, though, because now I've just messed it up. That's true, because it, it could be like the Fox executives with Firefly, and they run it out right? of order, and then see if people realize it, and then they'll continue but subscribing. The only, the only way I'll do that is if I really want it to die. Ah, that's true. Right? I mean, you don't want this to die. Yeah. That's and uh, unlike Joss Whedon, I'm not purposefully shooting this in widescreen, despite Fox's orders. Oh, I should turn that off. Keeps it nice and toasty in here. A lot of white noise, though. It is. Well, not so white noise. Not so white. That's pretty noisy noise. Pretty, pretty noisy noise. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so happy Thanksgiving again. Thanks yeah, for coming thank out. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Black Friday, if, if that's going to be an official holiday, too. Yeah, we might as well make it one because you need to be off all day to do anything with it, right? Mm -hmm. Except for the people that have to work in the stores that are being shopped at. Right? Yeah, but don't they get other benefits like they like I, I like to think if i was doing a black friday sale at my own store mm -hmm. i'd probably uh find a couple of things and find a nice little pallet to slide it into the slats of you know what i mean to where it doesn't quite get found but it's not exactly hidden either <laughs> and then uh when i finally get the chance for me to buy it i'll just go grab it <laughs> Uh, no, not no, so much. You, no, not so well, much. Well, you know, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, with what you do, inventory control is kind of yeah. a big deal. <laughs> We're not going to condone any of that, that sort of thing. <laughs> Just as long as on your own time, not on. <laughs> right. Not on a specific company's time. So, let me get this out of the way. So, you and I, we've been kind of pursuing a new look at old stories. Mm -hmm. for quite a while we also like doing gaming we just finished our yep. game of Catan, and i know you've mm -hmm. done some conventions lately and mm -hmm. i know those are usually pretty exciting they are They're yeah huge. um the last one you went to where which one was that uh so i've I made it with a, fr a friend of mine we go to gen con every year so this is our third year at gen con that's in indianapolis in indiana and there's seventy thousand people there did you go to that german restaurant that we try to go to when we're in there Oh, what's that? No, I didn't. No, uh, we've been going oh, to this man. Irish pub. We're right, right around. Which you can't go been, wrong with an Irish pub. Which has been fabulous. So it's our kind of our favorite place, and it's just it's a block off from the nice. main convention. So really, really good. They have like uh, griddle fried uh, mac and cheese yeah. with like blue cheese on top of it. What? Oh, That's some next level Irish pub yeah. stuff. That's not. <laughs> I got, I've got some video where uh, I was in Cancun and an old army buddy once told me, he's like, if you ever find yourself in a place where, no, oh, this wasn't Cancun. What am I thinking? It's Key West. Key West. Okay. Same thing. Um, I've never been to Cancun, so I can't really say. Ah, uh, 
you know, Key West is a bit smaller. It is. It is. Yeah. But they've got that nice stone that says, like, this is the southernmost point of the United they States. They do. The funny thing about that, you have to park, like, five miles away from that because there's so many people crowded around it. You can't get to it at any particular So time. Kelly and I had so, an excursion uh, when we were on a cruise. At, yeah. Like, stopped at Key West, and mm-hmm. it was a bike tour of Key West. Ah, that's so the trick. So we were on a bicycle, and so we were just able to just go you know, right I, there, take the picture, and then move on. I ended up driving past and just doing a drive-by photo. Drive-by. <laughs> <laughs> there was no way I was getting into that. I was I was all set. I needed to get back to the Irish pub. Uh-huh. And um, that pub, man. Old Army buddy said, if you ever find yourself in a foreign place, anywhere in the world, find the Irish pub. Find the Irish they pub. always speak English, mm-hmm. and they always know how to look out for each other and point you in the right direction. So when I started doing a lot of travel... It's for, like the Irish embassy. Yeah, yeah it really yeah, is. Yeah. And it makes sense, because... That, that's how wait, when's the last time you have we ever seen an Irish embassy? I've never seen an Irish embassy, so but pubs I've seen are. lots of taverns. Yeah, so pubs <laughs> are the Irish embassy. Why didn't I put this together before now? <laughs> so, because it's got the alcohol, it's got all the atmosphere, it's got, um, it's always got good football, right? Well, football. Football. <laughs> um, and we're watching football. I end up at this pub, we're watching football, and never met a single one of these people. None of us have met each other before because it's Key West. And we're all singing Friends in Low Places at the top of our lungs, just having a blast, right? <laughs> it's just, it's the craziest experience I've had just in a bar. It's like we all, we were all instantly friends. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so Indianapolis, the Irish pub, do you remember what's the name of it? Nah, I'd have to look it up. Yeah. It's like, well, it's I, can, I can show you on the map. Yeah. It's like, it's okay, the... I walk here, I go down here. And that's the restaurant that Chris and I go to. Well, you know, nice. You ever need us? You know, that's where we'll be at after, after the convention. So. We should do that. Mm-hmm. I need to go up to Indianapolis sometime and do this. Yeah. I'd love to do a cosplay, too, for no, a Gen Con's got lots of, lots of cosplay. They've got a whole big cosplay parade that, that goes through, like Dragon Con. That's mm-hmm. down in Atlanta. Um, and But it, it, was, it was originally... So it was the first gaming convention which is the reason why we go to it so it's 53 years old 53 years old yeah 53 years running. i didn't know you know yeah that and, level and of the reason why it's called, been around that reason long. why it's called gen con is because it was originally the there's a bunch of friends there were like 20 people got together 53 years ago wow. and um had a they rented out a little hall and played games like Gettysburg and and other ones. Wow. These these you know AP Hill board games that yeah. that my dad had, and it was in Geneva, Wisconsin, and so it was the Geneva Convention, which okay. also was a play on you know yeah. Geneva and Switzerland, <laughs> and they moved to Indianapolis with a certain deal. It just got bigger and bigger, of course. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of games were released there for the first time, like Magic the Gathering. Was it? Uh, card game was released first at Gen Con. Didn't know and that. Number of other games. So that's probably one of the most famous ones. Okay. So what are you into now? Like we do Catan, but that's that's a really old tradition at this point in our mm-hmm. family. Yeah, we've done that um, for a long time. So right now my current my current favorite game is Terraforming Mars. Yeah. So we brought that with us, but we, we just didn't didn't get a chance yeah. to to play it this time. What I like about that game is uh, you've got you've got Mars. And you're each a different corporation, and you're trying to be the the one that does the most terraforming of Mars. Okay. 
So, right, so laying down the most green tiles and make it more reflect. And once you've hit the three conditions, the game ends, and then you tally up points to see who's actually the, the premier terraformer of Mars. Okay. So uh, for cosplay for this, do you dress up as Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos? Or what do we do to get into the... <laughs> yeah, what do you do to get into the mood? You know, we yeah. take out our cars and... <laughs> <laughs> No, usually I put on uh, Interstellar on, and really? dive into Pandora. Nice. And so we'll have like Interstellar, music on Zimmer. And yeah, you can't beat Zimmer. Stuff. Can't, can't beat that. No and way. So we get this this nice extraterrestrial feel as we're going through. And the, the cool thing about it, it's got a stack of cards, which are all these different projects and things that you can do. And the stack is so large that I, I'm still finding new cards and I've played the game like eight or nine times. Like, what does this card do? And it explains it very well, exactly yeah. what it does. That's yeah, always uh, been one of my issues with card games. And I, th I think you've always intuited better than I do um, what the actual intent of the card is and how it's playable. Yeah, so that's one of the things. Like, it's in brackets, so it gives the symbology. And then it says, oh... You know, raise your raise your energy production two steps, gain one terraforming rating, and gain two plants. Like, okay, that's ex that's exactly what I do. Right. Nice. Yeah. So Hard. This my. This sounds like a game for me then, because it's just laid out. It's, I can't. It's, it I is can't. Laid out on the. As card. long as I actually read the words, I should be fine. You should be. <laughs> you should be. Uh, and the and the neat thing is that. Like I think we played it a couple of days ago, and I was I was losing by like. 10 points when the game ended hmm. but i had enough points in my projects that instead of being like dead last place like when yeah. the game ended i ended up being in second place what? by two points what and it was like oh man if wow. i had just played this slightly differently so you don't there's there's that feeling of you might be in the head ahead uh, now but that's that's not everything mm -hmm. and how true that is too mm -hmm. just in everything in life. in life so yeah that's when uh What's my it? boys are now vh well they actually played the last terraforming mars game with us so they were both i was surprised that ben was able to do it really he's seven and he's he's actually able to now read music because he's able to read through the cards yeah so, and understand cool. what's going on so. that's got to be neat too because you've got two boys and a girl mm -hmm. and you're seeing them come up and start to get into oh, and, some of the things yeah, that you Rose, really enjoy Leather Rose, she wants to she wants to play too yeah. but she can't read yet and so we're like hey you got to read first well knowing your kids that's like five, you know, five weeks away or something right <laughs> <laughs> starting there yeah starting there yeah um well i bring up games because one of the key things about gaming is and i think this is one of the the attractive elements at a core level is it's the archetypal hero myths but in like a training environment. Mm. So you've got the live action role playing, you've got dungeon, you know, D&D, &D, you've got, uh, oh, you got to help me with some other ones because I'm so out of date. I'm just going to date myself here. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's all different. And then there's even, there's been an explosion of board games and there's an explosion of all kinds of games. And a lot of that having to do with Kickstarter, a lot of that having to be with like, I guess, geek or nerd culture kind of going mainstream in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Like, you know, everybody loves Star Wars and everybody loves these things and it, it leads, leads on and it's not a, Hey, this is something I just do on the side. It's, Oh, this is something I do with a thousand other people. Yeah, uh, you know, on the side, and you can go to convention after convention, anime conventions, and cosplay, and gaming, and and all these things all together. So, but the wide the, the variety of games that get split up in my game shop is 
you've got your your board games which are cooperative board games there are rpg board games there are strategy board games historical board games then you've got your living card games um, living card games living card games which is different than a collectible card game right so a living card game it gives you all the factions all at once mm. and everybody's got the same cards and they can be cooperative or not cooperative so we're talking dominion is, um, would that fall into that category or is that different Dominion is slightly different. Okay. Uh, but this is more like uh, five, I'll say five tribes. But Fantasy Flight Games is, is big into it. I've got Lord of the Rings card game. Yeah, how's that? That's the that's LCG. So I'm playing that with my boys. Yeah. And that's really cool because we can build the decks together and we can build them to complement each other. Mm -hmm. So like I've got a really fighty deck. Um, Kevin's got a kind of a flexible deck that is he can he can fight, but he can also do some questing things. And Ben really likes to quest. And so Ben puts all of his stuff into questing, and then I protect him so he doesn't die. Cool. It's, just, <laughs> it's kind of things like, all right, well, you know, you take the spider, but I'm going to sentinel, so I'm going to take the damage for the spider, and then I'll ranged attack and kill that spider. Nice. And, well, Father and son going into battle together. I love it. Yeah, yeah, the three of us. And then it gives that, that sense of adventure. The nice thing is that's, again, set between uh, The Hobbit and... And the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. But you're able to throw together characters like Gimli and Legolas before the time. And, and, yeah. And see things like, oh, this is how they play together. Cool. and stuff. So uh, so there's, yeah, so you got your, your card games and you got your miniatures games. And you got all, you got War Machine and Hordes, which is a big one. But the biggest one in the room is, is always going to be Warhammer. Okay. Uh, 40K and Age of Sigmar is, is under Games Workshop. And then they've they've really done a really good job in the last seven to ten years or so of like little expansions out of that. So you've got a skirmish game type of Age of Sigmar and a skirmish game type of 40k. And then, oh, well, let's take the scale down and you can play uh, Adeptus Titanicus and you're just playing with Titans. But they're all like a smaller scale. So you get the, the feel of Titan battle, which is almost like, you know, Battletech. Yeah. Uh, so, Battletech type feel, but in, right. in the 40k universe. Dating ourselves and, again with Battletech. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Battletech's re-released at least two more times since... <laughs> Oh, it's so since, true. Since we play. We're so old. Um, it, it seems like somebody's always releasing that. So we've got we've got tables. You know, D and D is is still a, a big thing, especially Wednesday nights. You can see just tables full of, of D and D. And so, what do you? It's a good time in the the gaming industry. Do you think there's a? a it sounds like you're describing a almost a radical expansion of of customer base for this. Is it? Yeah. Is that? Would that be correct? Or is this, do you think, just more people finding finding joy in coming together? And they've always kind of done this. So I've, I've also seen and heard of kind of when, when video games are really becoming big. And when I was playing tabletop, you know, a war game here, it's like, wow, these video games, they already roll the dice for us. They already tell us these different things. Yeah. It would be cool. We're just going to all sit around on our computers and play against each other. And that's happened to a large extent, and there's you know millions and millions of gamers out there, and I spent my my time in World of Warcraft as well and things. But what we found is the that human element, that eye contact, that uh, actually you know war games most of the time in the game shop are more friendly. So it's like, oh, do you really want to make that move? Oh, really? Because that's really They're that's not... really kind of crappy, yeah. you know. It's not a Shark Tank. 
typically. Not, not a typically. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you go to a tournament, yeah, you're going to be a short type, right? Yeah. If, but now we're I'm finding like gaming shops sending teams to other gaming shops for the tournaments. Okay. And so you're friend you're friendly on the Thursday night when you're playing against each other, and you're cutthroat against the other guys from nice. you know warfare warfare games down the street is in our gigabytes is in our you know meeple mayhem and so we're you know we'll, we'll stick together and yeah oh absolutely yeah <laughs> but we still get along with everybody because we're i mean when it comes down to it at the end of the day we're just a bunch of people playing with toy soldiers so <laughs> it's <laughs> That's a good way to think like, of it, too. Hey, you know, I used to set up my army green men and shoot at each other. Now I roll dice and we have, you know, specific cards. But there's that element of, there's that connection yeah. element, right? Okay, we're both kind of in here. We have an agreed upon rule set that we're, we're going to abide by. Um, you might understand the rules better than I understand the rules, right. but let's help each other out through this thing. Oh, isn't this a cool combination that I might not have thought about or have seen before? Or Do you think this is a response to the continuing polarization of the nation through politics or culture against culture because it sounds like you're finding you're finding a, a belgium you're finding a, a common ground you know hmm. where you can really just kind of work out your differences yeah and you a, really don't care about political affiliation when you're mm-hmm. trying to destroy it. you can tell different people like to play certain factions which happen to be like one faction is a little more Russian or a little more American, a little bit more, you know, nature loving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of going right. through. But just because you play that faction doesn't mean you're a Russian lover or yeah. you're you're a nature lover. It's just like, oh well, I really like this aspect of the, mm-hmm. of, the of the faction. Well it seems to be stripping the stigma off of whatever it is that you're truly passionate about. It's mm-hmm. it's taking away that whatever that magnetic field is that we're creating in day to day. It's removing that, and you get to you get to be you and your personality, without that instant judgment right out the gate. Maybe, mm, yeah. I mean that that could be could be playing, but it is it is a way that we can come together without. You know, yeah, it doesn't even come up different different walls. It does, you know, it, yeah, it really doesn't because we're we're talking our geeky nerdy things, and you know. Talk to Kelly about it and her eyes glaze over and you know, we, <laughs> right. we move on. But this is one of the nice things about having my boys and having my boys grow up a little bit is we can talk about Lord of the Rings card games or talk about some of these other... He's starting getting into... Uh, Monster Apocalypse is a thing that Kevin's got me into. Okay. So have you watched Pacific Rim? Or Pacific Rim I'm aware of it. Pacific? No, I've not watched it yet. Right, so big uh, kaiju monsters come out and then we have these big you know, mech suits that, that yep. destroy them. Well, it's kind of like that. And you take King Kong and you take planet okay. eaters and you take, anyway, all these big monsters and you're yeah. in the city and you try to kill the other guys, monsters totally. and you're throwing each other and body slamming each other into buildings and all way stuff. So but we a... can talk about all the stats on that back and forth with, yeah. my, with my nine year old. And it's cool. It's a yeah. way of, it's a way of bonding. Like they say, like yeah. humor, like dad jokes. Why are dad jokes so good? Why, 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 do, why are dead? Just, why are dead just, I feel like I'm getting this, set up this, for a dead this, joke. This, this, this is like, <laughs> like a setup. No, they actually, uh, some somebody thought that it was a great idea to say like, hey, well, why are dads so associated with puns? And why are dads using this all the time? And what they found is that it was used in this study of however many dads are going, going all the way through. That it breaks, that humor is a way of breaking down barriers. Even if it's bad humor. E- well, 
if you laugh together, yeah. right? Laughing together is a, is a way of bonding, right? So mm-hmm. you're la- it's like eating together, right? When you eat together, you it's like, hey, look, you're not trying to poison me. I'm not trying to poison you. We both feel better about this. Yeah. And the same way laughing together is like, oh, we both, we found some commonality that was funny. Right. Well, and that's why or a lot of speakers or, open with a joke. Or, they want to connect with the audience. Want to connect with the audience. Or a story, right? Mm-hmm. They yeah. say always open up with an anecdote or or a story yeah. and be able to to connect. In this way, they're saying that there's also that dads especially use a lot of jokes with their daughters. And why do they use it with their daughters? Because they're the most uncomfortable with them. Because it's, it breaks down whatever sex. There's there's you know that whatever latent sexual tension as mm. the daughters, especially as the daughters go into uh, teenage years and such like yeah. this, and they look more and more like their mother. Just neutralizes it's it. It's just like well, let's you know setting all this aside. Daddy says stupid things, and it's funny, right? <laughs> yeah. You know our dad jokes really funny. Whenever everybody asks that, they are always inevitably laughing, thinking of some dad joke right. that their dad has yeah. said, and it's like oh. my Goodness, yes, yes, it is funny. <laughs> <laughs> what well, and the nice thing about dad jokes is really the humor in it. I think the core root of it is, is it's a parody of itself, mm-hmm. and it's one that is funny. Like the whole idea that dads get together and come up with corny jokes because that's what dads do is a joke on dads in it of itself. And then you all laugh at yeah, but we do. <laughs> but we do. <laughs> we and actually do that. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you know, my, my wife tells me all the time. But you were you were telling these jokes before they were dad jokes. I was like, yeah, but we well, got to train because well, my my dad was telling these kind of jokes and yeah. these things. And uh, yes, yes. And now now I've got my kids trying to tell dad jokes. Yes, which is which is funny. That is cool. That's got to be something in and of to see. Itself. I'm like, no, no can... not quite there, son. Yeah, not quite there. Almost. But you're getting. Yeah, okay. Are you gonna pass down the the great book of dad jokes? Although, at some point? although although Ben had us, we went to Waffle House two weeks ago, and Ben had us all like laughing out loud. So uh, apparently he looked at me over, and and this is not gonna really come through the the audio as much as a, as a video. But he said he showed the uh, the sign language for please. Yeah. Right. The please. Yep. Right. So he goes. It's the gesture from the from the, from the, from the chin, chin chin out. out. Yeah. And then he says, Dad. Please is like this. And he gestures out and small. And he's like, and Barf is like this. And he puts his hand <laughs> up and he goes, way out. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Huh? That's projectile. Boy, this, is, this is, yeah, it's like projectile. You, know, you, you speed it up. The, the accel- you accelerate the uh, yeah. movement from the mouth if yeah, it's a projectile. Yeah, it was like, you know, please is this, this, this nice little motion. Barf. Oh, yeah. oh, just dying, you know. <laughs> It's that kind of thing that, that brings us all together. Yeah. We'll remember that. Well, I mean, you and I are laughing pretty hard at it. <laughs> uh, coming back, you mentioned uh, Lord of the Rings and there being a, an interactive game that you're bonding with the kids through. And I think that's a great one because I really think of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit as modern myth. Mm-hmm. I think it really incorporates, um, you know, much like a compression file, a zip file is reducing. It's dis- It's not reducing. It's distilling down to the really archetypal elements of the hero and the villain and the the and what's really neat about it is it's got the supporting characters because there are archetypal friends right oh, sam yeah. is the archetypal best friend he's the guy that you can count on no matter what um you deeply care on it and this is something too that i think's been lost a little bit in the modern age is the idea of an intimate friendship because we instantly start saying oh yeah they're gay it's like no no, there was a time 
And there still is a time, if you meet the right people, where they are so close as friends. They genuinely have this this love that's unique to friends. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, Tolkien, I think, does a great job of co- covering all of those characters, the mentor and so on and so forth. Um, you and I have been pursuing interpreting the old myths a little bit differently, just kind of... I wouldn't say differently, but adding two layers of analysis for the interpretation. Uh, and we've kind of come at it from two different angles. Like, Yeah, that, that was surprising. I think that was really cool, I don't know, six months, a year ago. And it's like, oh, you're you know, you're, you're interested in this stuff too? Like, yeah. wow, oh, cool. And then we can actually have something to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're like, oh, I, I need to call Chase. And you can't watch The Lion King the same too when you start watching. When you start looking at stories this way, it's like, oh, that's there's Cain and Abel, right? Mm-hmm. You start seeing the the similar stories that are just timeless in there. Um, but so you're a practicing Messianic Jew. Am I saying this right, or how would yeah. how would you say that? Uh, so you know, it's as uh, time has has gone. On, I'd say I'm more of a practicing Messianic Gentile. Okay, because I'm not I'm not born Jewish. We're not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so my mom's not my mom's not Jewish, and I didn't go through a formal conversion. Okay, so therefore, being Messianic Gentile, so part of the Messianic movement, you know, attended Messianic synagogues for uh, twenty five years now. You were an interim rabbi for a while, right? Uh, no, well, not quite. Uh, well, how does that work? I don't even know it the politics like or something our, like that. Yeah, when when our when I had some some issues, I just kind of just congregational leader is what I would. Okay. Yeah. I would say. I mean, yeah, all I ever claim is layman. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I'm sorry. What was, what was the, so, um, the question going on? But that's how so I would describe myself. Just a, another example of how you. So I was brought up um, not Messianic Gentile. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got a, a good, deep Protestant and Baptist, and with a lot of Catholic influence too, actually really? mixed in there. Hmm. Because I like traditionalism. I really like, I think there's a. Tradition is something that kind of makes our actions today have almost eternal life. Not not eternal life, but it extends us beyond our years, right? The the experiences that's, like Passover. That, that, that's one of the thing, great things about liturgy. So kind of a liturgical practice. So our Messianic synagogue um, ended up bringing in some liturgy that I knew from other synagogues mm-hmm. and just kind of brought us closer and closer to what you would see at a more conservative synagogue, not quite Orthodox, um, but we could get along in an Orthodox uh, Jewish synagogue setting. But the, the great thing is, is as you're going through these prayers that have been said for thousands and thousands of years, it's a way of kind of reaching back and connecting yeah. with the past, but also, and then pushing that to the future. The other thing is they've, there's been such thought and such, um, prayer and things devoted to it is that the sometimes when yeah whatever you're going through life and you can't really think like go you know uh if you believe right is what jesus says oh lord teach me to i believe teach me to believe right right um in in this way it's like oh i don't really feel like praying but now I'm gonna. Now it's time for everybody to say these beautiful words right. that have been said for thousands of years, and then we're going through, and it's like, wow, yeah, really needed to be reminded about how amazing and wonderful God is, mm. who's created, you know, you know, one of the cool things uh, from from some of the Hebrew 
and translating the, the Hebrew for yourself, as you can see the multiple meanings of words, yeah. right? And so in, a tra in an English translation, you just don't get it. Mm. And when you read in the original Hebrew, and it's like, you know, I often get, got this question in Christianity, well, if you know, if we find life, on another planet, how is God going to fit into that? I'm like, well, you ever read C.S. Lewis? You're out of the hidden planet or out of this other stuff. But one of the things about the Hebrew, about the Lord, Lord of Lord of the world, it's really Lord of the worlds. Mm. So no matter how many realms there are, it's no not matter, really a matter how many planets or no, how many doesn't planets. Matter. Stuff, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, this this is God That's over. Cool. Over the worlds, you are the Lord of eternities. Yeah, you know, so it's. There's there's plural that's that's in there that allows for other other things that you know quite frankly would would really disturb my faith mm. as just a, a straight Protestant or a straight and and it's really been a long long journey my own personal faith journey if you will it's really changed perspective know, really over the last well, I guess it's been twenty five years or so they've gone through about. You know, when you're first, when you're first a believer, and you're first saying anything, oh, this is the way, this yeah. is the only way, and right. everybody else yes. is just terrible. It, There's that that religious fanaticism, that, that dogmatic, that period. Dog, that real mm. dogmatic period, and then it's like, oh well, have you considered this view or have you considered that view? Like, no, 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 I could never consider that. And it's like, well, wait, actually, what you're saying kind of kind of makes sense, and then it kind of moves moves on. So I've I've moved from a a very, you know, this 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 word of God's been passed down exactly, you know, from from God's mouth right right to my hands, you know, in this mm. English translation. The, the English words were this passed. English <laughs> words are the, are the 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 perfect things. But even even the manuscripts that we have, and for the last I don't know six or seven years, I've spent. I I like going to conventions and conferences. I was talking about, and so going to Society of Biblical Literature. And I've heard about that, and they're a bunch, you know, a bunch of liberals. You know, they they don't take the Bible at its word, and they're they're using critical methods and critical ways of looking at these at these stories, and and looking at how the Bible was handed down to us. And and honestly, when I first heard of it, I was like, oh, this is bad. You know, Jesus, mm. Jesus seminar and these other things. Oh, did Jesus really say these things, or did he not really say these things? You know, yeah. I. I I mean, how do you make that determination? We're two thousand years after. I mean, how do you how do you do this stuff? But I went there more interested in uh, in roles and seeing how Paul and everybody else fit into it. And what I found is that just because you believe that there were, might have been an editor at some point of time, yeah, that the great edited, the, and, we and, call him the redactor. You know, right? the redactor that put yeah, together this book or was. put together this other book or it's put together the whole things of the Bible doesn't doesn't destroy the validity of the Bible. Mm -hmm. It doesn't tell it doesn't get rid of the stories that are being told, that are being retold and and looking at the Bible as this, you know, very hyperlinked document, right? Before that is there was such a cool before diagram. there was there was there was hyperlinks, you know, there was the Bible and going all the way through back and forth and reiterating on itself and thinking of God outside of time and space and 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 breathing and reaching in. I mean, this is just an, an amazing thing. And what I found is that even if you look at the milieu of cultures that were around, like, oh, well, Noah's story sounds a lot like this Babylonian story, and that sounds a lot like this other story. And, well, the Jews, the Hebrews took, just stole this story, and they twisted it. And it's like, well, if you look at it, yeah, they're very similar. Mm -hmm. And so culturally, if you were a non-Hebrew and you went to Hebrew society and you heard the story, you'd be like, wow, that's, 
That's that's cool. That's very similar to what I'm used to. But there's God always put a twist in, in all of his Bible stories. There's a mm. twist. Mm-hmm. And the twist makes you think something differently. It's like the parables, right? They're supposed yeah. to shock you. Yeah, it's suddenly the story it, that you just heard you think wasn't you, the story you heard. You, you think you knew the end of it. It's actually this other story. Yeah, it's actually yeah. this other story. And it's like, oh, well, you know, God's ordering the universe in creation. Well, all the gods order the universe. That was one of the functions of God was to order the universe. Right, that's uh, what uh, uh, Marduk does. You know, Marduk does mythology. in And, you know... 15, 20 years ago, I'd be afraid to study Marduk. I mean, I wouldn't want to lose my faith and going all the way through. But now, I'm like, oh, well, what can I learn? How is this informed, right? And mm-hmm. so I found that it's informed in some of these stories of God. What God does is he makes Eden a temple. Mm. He puts his footstool. And, and, and it's all about, and I really, um, like one of the, I read Old Testament Theology for Christians by Dr. Walton. And it was released, I think, this past year. And it's a really good conglomeration of, like, all of his books. But he makes his thesis of the entire book is that the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, is really all about God's presence Mm. on earth. And God wants to be present on earth. And ultimately, right, and you go into the New Testament, now God's present in our lives. Right. And in in our hearts. And so what Walton says as he's he's moving is that he's putting his presence here on earth. And... What does he do? He creates man at the end, and man is the pinnacle of creation. And ultimately, actually, women is the pinnacle of creation, right? Because yeah. it's, it's created the, after the Mark man, two. right? It's, the Mark it's, 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 two. Yeah, it's like, ah, I made man, and uh, um, I had to do better, right? Yeah, we can, I, think, I think we need... To, it's like the Cybertruck versus what the Cybertruck will probably be we'll released probably be, as. Yeah, we can do yeah, better. Yeah, we, we got the blocky guy here. He kind of has all the muscles and all the stuff, but... There's no grace to it. Let's let's put a grace to let's, it. Let's, let's give it some finesse, some beauty... And and the so the story is that the story is telling us that man all we're all created that man is made a little lower than angels and we're made in his image and we are the pinnacle of creation. Mm. And if you look at all the other stories, what is it saying? Oh well, the gods are lazy sobs and mm. um, we're really created to be slaves. We're made out of mud. We're made out of these other things. Oh crap! We made these human beings. Oh, because I'm tired of getting food for myself, so I'm gonna go ahead and get some food. But you look at at the Bible, and it's like, no, man is the pinnacle of creation. When you look at man, you look at God. He's made in the likeness mm. and the image of God. And that statement alone, I agree with, with Peterson on this, like that statement alone is the foundation of Western politics. Mm. It's the foundation of Western society. And we get rid of that, and and that's the found that's the foundational story of going through. And we get rid of that thing, and then you can dehumanize, you can lead to, to what we saw in the horrors of the Holocaust, mm. and being able to say, oh, no, that's... They're not made in the image of God. They're yeah. just, you know, if we just all evolve, well, we're going to be the the super race. Right. And it's, you know, that was prevalent all over the world with eugenics. And, mm-hmm. and, the and it started here. The Darwinian theory, right? And so yeah. that's 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 one of the tough things uh, to, to look at. Well, how do you reconcile the Darwinian theory then with the, the creation story? Hmm. Have you thought about this? I have. I have because we talk about evolution, right, as still unfolding. And one of the concepts that I've been working on lately is that like children, like a dad and his son building a car together, God wanted somebody with his, his logos, his ability to breathe life into creations similar to him to also create with. 
And so I feel like I'm beating on a fender on the back of the car while my dad is building this beautiful suspension system or a really cool engine in the front. And every now and then I'm going to mess up. I'm going to be like, I'm going to put like a crease in the fender somewhere and I'm going to love it. And he's going to be like, no, no, here's, here's, we need to do that a little bit differently. But then he'll also go, that's beautiful. That's me in you showing up in your creation. And so with this concept of being created to be a co-creator in creation in this realm with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're his icon, um, right? And- well, now that means that creation wasn't over after the seven-day period. Because it does say he rested. It's like, he didn't say he was done. He just rested. No, so, and that's not even the concept of rest, which is interesting. Uh, yeah, going, going through, yeah. right? So if you look at the Mesopotamians, mm. uh, if you look at the story of Marduk, if you look at some of these other things, they also rested. Mm. But when when a god in those stories rested, it wasn't he took a nap. Well, yeah, right. it was that he he created this edifice, he creates this temple, and he goes up in his in his temple that he created. He goes into his creation, and he is now ruling. He's mm. able to rest from the work of creation because now he's created this edifice within which to rule. So Mark makes his creators. own, like, <laughs> right? And so yeah. now we're we are co-creators. We are his icons, or almost we are his idols as we're going through. We mm. are his representations on earth, ambassadors, yeah, ambassadors, in a way. Yeah. right? Personal representatives, yeah, personal so. representatives, mm-hmm. and then we're able to co-create with him. I've, yeah. So I know some people have, like, especially like our our mother-in-law, you know, came to the Lord because of you know, able to, well, because of creation and that you could be scientific and still believe in mm. God and still believe in, in, in Jesus. And what is it? 70% of the Nobel Peace Prize winners, I just read this statistic, or Christians, or believe in a, at least a higher power. I know for a long time, it was about 90% of the world believed in some kind of high spirit yeah, of some form. And, you but, know, um, my it wife's just tells a scientist like, and, and the vast majority of people that she works with believe in god and go to church and mm. and stuff it and the, the whole scientific method came because of christians right why because it's like well if god created this world and he created it with laws and things it should be should be something that we can examine and we should be able to know mm. and just like his- but if it's totally random right then there would be no laws there'd be nothing governing this and they, you know all of a sudden i can be here and the next thing you know i'm on the other side of the world because it's total chaos. Mm, right, yeah. But, but that's not how... But that's not how the world works. Right. Right? And we've been investigating how the world works, and we've figured out so many things about how the world works. And mm-hmm. to me, that's a testimony of, well, there's there's some there's some God, there's some higher power that put things in order, right? That's kind yeah, of the, the order out of chaos, right? Yeah, and that's the, what the purpose of the God of God is. The, uh, the in, presupposition in the for the investigation is that there is an order to be found. Right. Right. And in order for an order to be found, it's like, well, you probably, it makes a good case, I think, and obviously this is shortcutting a lot of discussion on the topic, but it mm-hmm. uh, makes a good argument for artificial, or not artificial, intelligent design of some form. <laughs> uh, now, we could go with the Elon, you know, Elon's not against the idea that this is a simulation, and he also thinks, he's also said something along the lines of, we're moving toward a simulation, which we've got VR, augmented reality, that kind of thing. He's not wrong there, but I, I'm not buying into that. Yeah, that it's already a simulation. So, theory. so one of the, one of the things but, that Messianic Judaism has has really is really good at is 
it be it brings in not just the the Christian leaders of thought, but it also brings in, hey, how's the Jewish thought advanced in the last couple thousand years? Yeah. What are the rabbis said about these texts? What are the rabbis said about these these different uh, ideas? And obviously, in their different time periods. Uh, the Jews and Christians have interacted often in very negative ways, <laughs> yeah, <a little laughs> often <bit. laughs> in, in in opposition to each other, and uh, and and that's that's been going on for you know eighteen nineteen hundred years, and but we're still studying the same scriptures, we're still looking for the same insight, and ultimately we're looking at the same God, right. And so the insight that can be gleaned from from some of the Jewish sources and from the Jewish. Uh, rabbis that have investigated they really know their language the best mm. oh well, this is, these words are similar and some of the midrash and the stories that they say can can give light and new meaning to stuff mm. and I this think, is this is one of the things that i was really interested in asking you about because you've got such a hearty background in and, and there's always so much more, that, more to learn but oh, sure but <laughs> we're, we're talking how many at least eight to ten thousand years of written yeah yeah so, so. You, you've got a lot you've got a lot written about it and one of the the interesting things i guess 15 20 years ago someone run a rabbis was like hey you know we we had a lot of like sola scriptura people and i and i was kind of tended toward that and then my early in my faith was like oh you know all you need is the bible mm. and and that's not true. He's like, okay, mm. it says in the Ten Commandments, it says keep the Sabbath. How? How do you keep the Sabbath? Oh, well, it lays out a few other things. He's like, don't work. It's like, oh, that's cool. But it never defines work. Right. This is, this is, you're actually hitting on what was the hardest thing for me as a Christian coming up was I had the high aims set. Mm -hmm. What I didn't have was the roadmap to pragmatically pursue them. Do it. Yeah. Right. I had, I mean, the philosophy's there, but the how, and I, I get caught up in the cornflakes a lot. You know, it's the details. It's, you know, love your neighbor. Okay. Well, how specifically do yeah. I bring him dinner every day? I mean, and this was something that because of the, the rift between science and religion, the way out, I, I want the culture I was brought up in was very hesitant to look into the areas of psychology or psychiatry mm -hmm. but there's that's something that a couple of years ago i just started diving into and that's where through piaget and jung and um uh, jordan peterson and other i mean jung or i said jung freud um you know when you start looking at the psychoanalysts i'm going yes they're studying what we're already acting out and then I can also take their practical elements of trying to move in the world. And, you know, maybe it's not the highest way to do it. Maybe I'm not doing it the perfectly godly way. But you know what? I'm doing it more than I was before when I was sitting there waiting for God to tell me, this is the perfect way to do it. Go execute. Yeah. I got frustrated. It's like, oh, I'm just going to pray. I'm just do God's will. What's yeah. God's will? I'm just praying for God's will all the time. And, and he... Uh, you know, he's, he's set out, he's got all these, these instructions, but there's, there's things that are missing. So the rabbis fill a lot of those in. Mm, mm -hmm. And so that's what a lot of this thing is like, sanctify the Sabbath. How do you make the Sabbath separate and apart? Oh, well, let's light some candles. That's pretty. You know, oh, okay. So yeah. you light candles every Sabbath. Making right? it different. You know, yeah. oh, well, how do we distinguish that it's off? Well, we light a big candle at the end, you know, and go through, right? So there's ceremonies and practices that have, that have been brought in and, and Christian, uh, 
society and especially through the, through the Catholics, a lot of the liturgy and other things have been built up as well with the mm-hmm. Advent. And, and this is how we're going to celebrate Christmas. This is how we're going to celebrate Easter. This is how, you know, in the other way, this is how we're going to celebrate great Passover. And it's these kind of traditions and the liturgy that connects to the past, that leads us to the future, but also tells us the how. Mm, right. And the if how. we, if we yes. all, if we also remove ourselves from the, the how and say, oh no, I know a better way to do it. It's it's really a pompous act to be able to say, oh, mm. well, I can read the Bible better than anybody else has. Even people that spent their entire lives doing it, and I'm just doing maybe 15 minutes a day. Right. And it's like, well, yeah. let's let's learn from these people. So I've my attitude toward commentaries has changed, and you mm. know, from being oh anti-commentary, I just need the Bible to hey, let's let's find out what these yeah. eight really smart people have have said about it. Oh, I don't really like that. Oh, does he have a point or not? Mm-hmm. And and really broadening the the understanding and broad and, and trying to deepen as well. Yeah. Uh, about six years ago, we are you familiar with the concept of Musar? No, no, no. Uh, so Musar is one of the one of the, the the best gems that we've gotten out. And it was in the seventeen eighteen hundreds, the Kelm altar of Kelm, and he was in Europe, and he decided, hey, let's let's practice. Right, life, life hits each of us differently, and we all react to it differently. And life is our curriculum. Life is our curriculum, and what might be really hard for you, Chase, is really easy for me, and what's really tough for me might be really hard for you. Uh, it might be really easy for you, mm-hmm. right? But we all, but we all know these different traits, right, and different values. We know how God describes Himself. We know how but we we're look at to do these things. But how do we practice to get better, right? We always mm-hmm. we go to this thing and then we come up with a major test, and we fail. We're like, oh God, well, you know, next time I'll be ready. But we don't do anything. And there's this next major test in our life, and something goes oddly bad, right? You know, yeah. the floods come, the rains fall down, and the house falls. And great is that ruin, right? Right, <laughs> right, again. <laughs> you know, I, I love that part. I mean, when Peterson's broadcast, he was like, so, so what do we learn from this parable? And I told this to a friend of mine. I was like, so what do you learn from the parable? The flood is always coming. The flood is always coming. It's always coming. And so what, what Musar does is it's a daily practice, and it says, all right, I'm going to pick 13 traits I'm going to work on generosity is one that I have a really tough time with. Mm. And it says, all right, for generosity, one of the things you can do is every day carry a dollar, five dollars cash in your pocket and give it away. Intentionally give five ones out to people. I don't care what they have to do with it. Give it to the guy that's got the sign on it. So we might buy drugs. It doesn't matter. It's not about him. It's the generosity. It's about you. Yeah, it's not the strategic conversion of the person. To a better person. No. It's the generosity of the free giving to another human being. free giving to another human being. Mm. And and so that's been helpful. I don't like to keep cash. Kelly's actually better at it than I am. But, it, um, but you know, to keep cash, to be able to to give it to somebody, to, to exercise generosity. It's like, all right, well, then the, then the next week, so for 13 weeks, you're doing 13 different traits. You're doing the same same thing. And there's journaling that's involved as well. Yeah. So, you know, journaling gets things uh, ingrained in your head. You should be better at that. Well, I think but we can then, all do better on that one. But that's one quarter. Mm. And then the next quarter, hey, I'm back to generosity again. Yeah. It's like it's easier this time because it's the second time around this year. Yeah. And then, you know, the third time around, it's like, oh, this isn't quite so bad. Now I can see it's a way that you're able to see that you that are made progress. You're bootstrapping virtue too, is what's really cool. And, or and virtuous traits rather. Virtuous traits. Like mm-hmm. another one was uh so I've really had to struggle with anger. And I think a lot of guys guys do and 
the there's a phrase, there's kind of a mantra that goes with oh, yeah? it, and it's remove the match from the fuse. Make space between the match and the fuse. And so every time you're about to get in, make space between, between the match and the fuse. Okay, I'm going to take a deep breath before I go, right? Yeah, anything to give you a gap. Anything's going to give give that kind of, kind of a gap and, and give you a chance to think about it in your brain yeah. to calm down. But, you know, practicing that, and, and then it's easy to fall out of practice. This is why it's better to do it in, like, a group with two or three other people. Like, Kelly and I have, like, a kind of daily devotion. Uh, and then Alan, Alan Moranis is the guy that we go through. He started Musar Institute here in the, the United States. He went through a real crisis of faith, mm. went over to Hinduism for a little while. Oh, wow. Came back and shift. came back to, to Judaism and was just like, oh, this is what I was looking for. Kind of a, a way, it, seeing the divine spark in every person. Like God said, he put his image on yeah. it. So there's a divine spark. There's something good mm-hmm. in everybody. So how do I make the divine spark shine more brightly? Right. So how do I make his images and instincts? And so having gone through this over the years, uh, we just think about these traits. And it's it's really nice. And I think one of the frustrating things I saw in Protestant Judaism, I see in Mess- uh, Protestant Christianity and Messianic Judaism, is just that people come to the Lord and they're like, oh, they're so excited. But then there's no effect. This just doesn't seem to be an effective change in their life. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what, what is God doing in you and with you? It's like, oh, well, I don't have time for this, or I get so busy, or I can't believe my life is, is crap, or, or these these terrible things that have happened. It's like, what what are you doing? How is... And, and so in this Musar, I feel, is kind of like a partnership. Yeah, well, and it's also doing a pragmatic... And it's a practical partnership. It, it's a cooperative training environment. Mm-hmm. And then it's also, it's not saying, here's the standard, meet the standard, the end. It's saying, here's the standard here are some ways to remove the obstacles between you and the standard. And here are some other ways to help you realize that what you thought I just said was the standard is actually even higher. It's even well, it's, more it's, it's, But it's a practice, yeah, right? And it's so, a practice. so the it's next time... Like any other skill. So the next time that I need to be generous to somebody within the family, it's easier for me now to give money to people yeah. because well, I've practiced giving money to yeah. people and not expecting it. Yeah. Whereas if I hadn't practiced, I was like, oh, Crap, I'm gonna have to do that. What are they gonna do? Or when are they gonna pay me back? Or if they can go through, is this mm. a good thing, right? All, all these, that static. All this kind of static yeah. that I struggle with with being generous. Mm-hmm. I was able to practice like giving a dollar away is not as hard as giving a hundred dollars away. But practicing helps. But now you can give a hundred dollars. Now I can kind of I can give a hundred dollars. We are taking easier. donations, by the way. Easier. I'm just playing. <laughs> it's easier. I'm not, I'm not saying it. Oh, all right, right. I'm so, not not no, arrived. Not gonna yet. happen. Not arrived yet. But <laughs> 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 right, but this is but the, but there's a steady steady pace. Yes. Um, so that that's been helpful, oh, that's and then we kind of moved in, <laughs> kind of on that. We got frustrated with some of the the parenting, right? So I have three kids. Yeah, you're going, yeah. And some of the parenting books have certain practices. So I've almost made some of those practices like, okay, I'm going to work on this practice is going to be my musar for the week. Yes. With my kids. Like, nice. Okay, wow. Yeah. Instead of uh, getting angry and yelling at them, I'm going to give them options. You mm-hmm. know, okay, I'm going to give them options to do this or that, but I'm going to be good <laughs> with these options. I practice that for a week. Oh, that's, that's better. Okay. What's the other thing I was supposed to practice? Okay, now this next thing yeah. for this next week. But have, doing it only for a week is also kind of a short time period. I only have to do it for a week. Yeah, it's only a week. It's I mean, what's a week? And it goes by, by so quickly. Like, oh, wow, we're on to the next thing already. Yeah. But, you know, it's that repetitive. You know, okay, I'm going to do this four times a year, but yeah. they're going to be be separated. And it, That's been a really, really cool thing that we've integrated into no. our lives. 
besides the uh, the feasts, the festivals, the, the the timing of life, so it's that rhythm of life that I really have enjoyed in Messianic Judaism. If mm. uh, here I am, I, I can read it in the Bible, and then we celebrate that feast. Yeah, right. That's cool. and there's a way to celebrate that feast that's not in the Bible, but that that has grown up over time and, mm-hmm. and connects us in with a kind of a larger community, and so. So I know too, and I know we need to wrap up here because you guys are getting ready to get on the road. Yeah, I'm sure we've already done an hour, close to. Uh, yeah, 51 minutes, um, which is twice what we were aiming for. Uh, so we'll we'll wrap it up here. But uh, the Hebrew, what, what what do you even call them? It's not even it's not what you would call. I guess just the Hebrew stories, like mm-hmm. the great is it the great grape. The giant grape. What's the plum? What is this? To help remind me. You were telling me about this. Oh, you're telling oh. me about this thing, and it's like <laughs> you're like so in the world to come, right? So yeah, meal messiah so, is a yeah. great Orthodox tradition that Messianic Judaism has co-opted, and basically it's the last day of Passover when we get together and we have fish, which is appropriate because okay. you know Messiah when at the end he 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 cooked fish for the disciples and they okay. you know, swim swim in. So this is the meal of the Messiah. And it says, you know, what, what's going to happen in the world to come? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And it's like, well, it's a whole great song, which I could sing, but it would take more than nine minutes. That's <laughs> the so other thing about... Like we're we're going to eat the, the, we're gonna eat the, lo, 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 the Leviathan, and we're going to eat yeah. the ox. That, you've got that's going to be our meal. We're gonna, you've got we're like gonna, a 10-minute song that goes with this. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things is they say that God has preserved the grapes from the vineyards of the Garden of Eden. Mm. And they have been fermenting all of this time. And each one of us is going to be under our own grape, our own vine and our own fig tree. But we're going to have our own humongo grape. That's about four feet tall. Four foot tall. About four foot tall. <laughs> and about 18 to 24 inches wide, you know, circumference. Okay. And you can just tap it. That's a narrow grape. No, 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 no. I guess it's like the green grapes, I suppose. Anyway. Whatever you're gonna be able to tap it, but it won't it won't ever end, and it's gonna be the best wine that you'll ever have, mm. and that is what we will drink at the meal of the Messiah in the world to come. So now, with the the type of perception that we've started adopting over the last couple of years and developing differently, do you look at that story any differently now? Well, one of the the cool things about uh, like Judaism brings to the table is the idea of tikkun olam, repairing the world. Mm. And so the the whole co-creators, we're taking part in God, with God, and we're restoring and, and and making the world a better place. And so that that's a bit of bringing heaven to earth, which is a really great way of looking at at what Yeshua says, right? Hey, the kingdom of heaven is now. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is is among us. Well, now if we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, so how is this bringing the story to now? Right, so how do we bring that bit of heaven to now? That what is what is wine a symbol of? Well, wine is a symbol of joy. Wine is a symbol mm. of 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 happiness, right? And when yeah. we drink wine and we're filled with joy and we're filled with life. So how do we bring this life to now? How do we enjoy the now? And as well as thinking of later. Like I'm not yeah, you know, I'm still looking forward to that the, that, that, gi- that time to come but I'm gonna grape. enjoy a glass of wine with my friends yeah. right and, and as Ecclesiastes would say hey it is a blessing from God to be mm-hmm. able to enjoy the fruit of your labors to have good food and good drink and, yeah. and they weren't talking about really clean filtered water 
No, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, not exclusively, anyway. So, so how do I bring that that big story to now? It's like yeah. we've defeated chaos. We should eat. We're, we're eating. You know what chaos has provided for us. So, how do we create order in our own home in order to create a bit of heaven now, and we can enjoy it mm. with with everyone, everyone that's been before us, and everyone that is that is to come. And that's here with us now. That's really cool. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. All right. Dan Thanks, Stevens. Jason. This was a lot of fun. This was. It was a blast. I appreciate your time. Uh, yeah. Hope you have a safe trip back to Hotlanta. Yeah. Are you, you're going to Hotlanta? Are you going? Oh, we're in Marietta. It's just north of Hotlanta. Well, uh, yeah, but you're not going to Virginia or somewhere to see other family. No, okay. no, no. Going, well, going back. Good stuff. Well, I'll go ahead and uh, cut off the recorders. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. <laughs>